Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all the generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would um, be with us this morning and um, we welcome your Holy Spirit into this room, into everyone's hearts. Um, we ask that the Spirit would direct Josh's words and um, yeah, that you would speak through him and that your, um, that your word would come alive for each of us this morning. Um, we ask that you would um, yeah, help us to sing the praises of your name throughout our lives, throughout this morning. Um, we ask to rid of any distractions um, and that, yeah, that you would just enter into this place and um, provide us peace and rest this morning as we gather together. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, looks like we're on. Good morning. Well, for those of you, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of new faces roll in here this morning. Uh, those of you that we have not met, uh, my name is Josh Opp. Uh, my wife and family over here is, is Jen, Caden, Calvin, and Zoe. Um, eight, seven, and four. I'm not supposed to cry. <laughs> um, we joined Ecclesia about five years ago. Still love it here. Hope you join us. Um, hope this message facilitates some of that. Um, just want to start off a couple weeks ago, I was driving in the Subi with, with the kids, uh, and uh, out of the blue, my seven-year-old, he, he he just pipes up and says, you know, Dada, I think, I think I've said about 49 million words in my life so far. Um, he's embarrassed. He told me not to say that, but I did anyway. So um, we're not going to go that far today. Um, don't worry. I know it's warm. Uh, we'll try to, to cruise through this, but the Lord definitely uh, has a word for us here today. So I want to spend some time digging into that. Recently, I read a book called Strong to the Finish. Uh, it's about uh, a guy named Brian Hunter. He decided one summer to run across Mongolia. Sounds crazy. But to do that in order to bring awareness to the thousands of orphaned and abandoned children in the capital city of Mongolia. This feat meant that he would need to run more than 1,500 miles it meant that he would need to run more than a marathon every day, six days a week, for the whole summer. He brought his family with him. He thought running was crazy. He brought his family with him, too. Um, 
His family would often ride ahead to the next camp in their Jeep while he would run. And as you can imagine, most of Mongolian country is just really barren. There's very few people out in all that vast, vast land. Uh, and the so-called roads are often just Jeep tracks full of ruts and holes, and they're not straight, lots of forks in the road. And not only would he carry a, a radio as he ran so that he could connect, but at points he would leave bright pieces of orange tape behind him to kind of tell his family in his support car where he, he was if, if they needed to. And, and so about 500 miles into the run across Mongolia, they come to a river, and the river has a bridge that they came to, but you couldn't cross your Jeep over that bridge safely. So what they decided to do, Brian decided to run across that bridge because he could run across it safely, but the support car had to drive 25 miles up, 25 miles back to cross a bridge safely north of them. And what they didn't know is that that 50 miles would take six hours because the roads are so bad. And what Brian didn't know is that he would face so many forks in the road as he ran that he, he simply ran out of, of, uh, of orange tape. And he started putting granola bar wrappers like, and just anything to, to tell his family and his, his support car where he was going. But he ran out. And, and so both Brian and his support car were so deeply worried that they couldn't find each other and the sun started to go down, and you can imagine how they all felt. He could be lost in the middle of Mongolia by himself. He could possibly die uh, out in the middle of the barrenness by himself. Everyone was stressed, describing themselves in the book as physically, psychologically shaken, fearing for their husband and dad and friend. Needless to say, when their radios finally picked up that signal to connect them, they were able to reconnect as the sun went down that day. And as Brian recounts in the story in his book, when his family's Jeep pulled up to him, he nearly collapsed in relief. And he said, he said that his kids exploded onto him with hugs. So as we dig into the psalm together, I want to, I want to kind of tell you where we're going. I want to give you a couple of answers up front. And I stole these themes from a pastor who preached this, this psalm uh, probably about 10 years ago. Uh, but I feel that they're the right two main themes as I studied and prepared today. Refuge and relationship. Refuge and relationship, that's where we're going today. And what I want to do is spend the, the coming minutes just kind of like if you've been to the eye doctor, and I don't know what it's called, but you stick your head into that goggle thing with lenses and it starts off really blurry and then you flip and then they flip a lens and it gets clear and you say no that one's good they flip another lens okay that one's good and eventually you get to this place of like yeah like super clear right um if if that's if you've never been to the eye doctor pray uh you're, you're fortunate but that's what i want to do i want to kind of get get to these themes of refuge and relationship through just kind of walking through the text together, asking a few questions um, as we go here. So, I shake a little bit. Don't worry about it. Um, in this psalm, 
David describes a situation where he is desperate, he's weary, he's overwhelmed, he's tired, he's fearful. He's on the run in the wilderness, like Brian Hunter, but for very different circumstances. Someone someone is out to take his life. And as we get started here, I ask you this, what makes you weary? What are you overwhelmed by? When do you feel desperate? And I don't know the answer that comes to mind in your head, but maybe it's a difficult relationship in your family. Maybe it's a company restructuring at work. Maybe it's a child that's not sleeping. Maybe it's a nagging sin that just seems to keep defeating you. Maybe it's debt that you just can't seem to get any control over. Maybe it's a near-death experience that's just totally messed with you. Or maybe it's even religion. You're just so stressed out trying to fit your life neatly into the rules and norms that your family or your culture or your religious traditions just seem to force on you. I don't know the answer for you, but maybe you feel like you're at the ends of the earth, like David mentions in this passage, because the goodness and power of God just does not feel close to you in that moment. And that's where David is. So let's enter into his world for a minute. And we're going to ask a few questions here. Uh, One of them is, who is God? One of them is, is, who are we? And normally I'd like to start with, who is God? But for this morning, as we kind of enter into David's world, I want to start with, who are we? And let's just go through this text together, just verse, almost verse by verse, just uh, making some observations. Who, who does David describe himself to be here? He describes himself at the ends of the earth, verses 1 and 2, crying out to God, his heart's growing faint, lead me to safety. He's describing feelings of being lost, lonely, discouraged, unsafe, and anxious. He's probably hungry. He's probably thirsty. He's probably mentally weary. And this is that theme of refuge. I hope, I hope that's clear. And just looking down to verse 4, he says the words, I long for. He, he mentions the nouns tent and wings. He mentions the duration of forever. All of this language reflects an intense personal desire to be in a permanent place of security with God under his protection, under his loving care. I think here that we see both the themes of refuge and relationship. Verse 6, he says, increase the days in his prayer. Here David is acknowledging a lack of control over the length and quality of life, even He's even one of the most powerful people in the known world at that time, possibly. And he's acknowledging his weakness. He's not in a position of power or influence. And here we see that we are very limited in our ability to produce our own security. So here in this verse, I think the theme is refuge. Look down at verse 7. David asked God for the king's reign and for protection and care. Both here in this verse and throughout the psalm, David displays a disposition of faith and hope. He's prayerful for God to reign forever in goodness and love and faithfulness. He remembers God's prior acts of salvation and deliverance, and this prayer reflects his faith and hope in God's future promises, his current 
and his future salvation. And I believe here we see both themes of refuge and relationship there. Finally, in verse 8, through David's reflection on God, he places his trust in God's character, God's promises, despite his apparent difficult circumstances, despite his experience of weariness and desperation. In summary, he's driven to worship. He sings praises to the Lord, and he's even willing to double down on his commitment to the Lord. I think clearly here is the theme of relationship once again. So let's, let's look at the next question. Who is God in this text? Let's go back through the text briefly. Verses 1 and 2 and even in 5, we learn that God not only hears, but He listens. He hears our prayers and cries, and He is reachable from anywhere. Whether you think that you're in a place of worship that might inherently like, feel close to God, or whether you're stuck in the middle of the wilderness. Doug Wilson said that the end of the earth is not the end of prayer, but the end of prayer is the end of man. Because that implies total separation from God. Here is the theme of relationship. Look back at verses 2 through 4. We see that God is powerful to address the needs of safety, physical sustenance, psychological and spiritual care and comfort. What theme is that? That's refuge. Verse 3 says that God has provided past deliverance. So he has a historical and personal record that can be leaned on. Again, the idea of refuge. Verse 4 speaks of God's tent and God's wings. The tent that David's referring to here is the tabernacle. It's a place of permanent safety. It's a home. In a way, David's drawing on the imagery of the tabernacle as a place that offered grace for an asylum seeker. It was a place of protection and safety, not, not one that was built or earned. It was a place of grace. In contrast, the language of God's wings is the imagery that, that connotes a more natural place for his children, a place where we naturally receive care and safety from God. Here, here we see the theme of refuge again. Verses 6 and 7, again, we see that God must be sovereign. He must be eternal. Who else could have the power to extend someone's life? Who else has the power to allow a king to live forever, let alone in God's presence? Again, there's a sense of permanence, a sense of stability, reliability, sovereignty. Primarily here again, I think we see the theme of refuge. And then look, look further at verse 7. God's characterized by love and faithfulness. This would really stand out to someone uh, at that time who, who maybe was reading this or, or singing this psalm. These are the same Hebrew words that God used to reveal himself to Moses on Mount Sinai when he gave him the Ten Commandments. These words, love and faithfulness, are meant to highlight the ideas of goodness and kindness and mercy and firmness and truth and permanence. This is what the Jesus Storybook Bible calls the never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Clearly, we see elements of both refuge and relationship here. And lastly, in verse 8, as we kind of cycle back through here again, we see that God is worthy. 
He is worthy of our praises, worthy of our songs, worthy of being served and obeyed day after day. That's primarily why this psalm exists. God is both inherently attractive in his glory and he is worthy of response in his value. Theme of relationship. So let's jump to this last question. Where is Jesus? You know, I once had a professor who, before the time that he he was my teacher, he, he firmly believed that Jesus was not in any text of the Bible unless it was very explicit that, he was, that it was, he was there. But he came around to understand that Jesus is all over the Bible. It's all over. And this psalm is, is not an Old Testament text that's really quoted at all in the New Testament as far as we know. But there's so much Jesus in this passage, I literally do not have time to go through all of the ways that we could talk about. But let's, let's look at a few. Verse 2. The idea of weariness, faint-hearted. Who's, whose heart comes to mind? Who comes to mind the most weary person at the most weary moment that you can ever think of? It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on his way to the cross, severing a perfect relationship with the Father and taking on himself your sins, my sins, and the sins of the world. Verse 2 again, Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock of salvation. To some, he's actually a stumbling block, a rock of offense. But to those of us who believe he is the cornerstone, he is everything. That's why this psalm was entitled, Lead Me to the Rock. In the New Testament, Paul said that Jesus is also the spiritual rock that led and provided for the Israelites in the wilderness. If we jump to verse 4, again, the tabernacle. Jesus is the tabernacle. He is the fulfillment of the tabernacle and the temple, which David did not experience. Jesus is the place of refuge. He is God in the flesh. It is his spirit that dwells within us. By his blood, he has paved the way for us to come directly to the throne of God. Remember, when he died, he tore the curtain in the temple to the Holy of Holies so that there would be no more separation. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace in time of need. Verses 6 and 7, Jesus is the eternal king. He is enthroned forever. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus doesn't speak to us through the prophets anymore, but that he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. It says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and that Jesus upholds the universe by his power. By the word of his power. And it says that after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. There's no more work to do. It's done. Lastly, in verse 8 again, we see that we will forever sing praises 
to God. We'll sing, ever sing praises to the name of Jesus. Many of you know the passage in Philippians where Paul says that every knee will bow, every tongue confess. That's for everyone. But let's look at part of Revelation 5. Maybe we have that on the screen here. Revelation 5 gives us a glimpse into our future for those of us who believe. And it says this, Then I looked, and around the throne, I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature under heaven, in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. That is our future, if you hold on to Christ. That's going to be an awesome place. I want to spend a few minutes closing with some application. You know, as I, as I prepared this message, as I looked into this psalm, I learned that there isn't a lot of historical anchor. There isn't a lot of, like, firm context for this psalm. We can infer certain things, but really, these, but really there's only a few options here. One is that David's at war before becoming king, or, or during his kingship. One is that David is running from Saul before he became king, which was actually a lot for many years. But the last one is that David is running from his son Absalom after Absalom took the throne away from David. And Absalom's army was out to take David's life. Now, I, I know that we don't know for sure what the context is here in this psalm, but if it's when he's running from his son, Think back to why that would be in the first place. It takes us all the way back to the story of David and Bathsheba. David took her, and he ordered the killing of her husband so that he could have her. And then he tried to cover it up. And then remember that the prophet Nathan heard the truth from the Lord and came into the palace and confronted David and exposed him. And one of the punishments for that time, for that sin, was that the sword would never depart from David's house. My point here is that it's very possible that David is in a place of danger, a place of weariness, a place of discouragement, a place of fear, a place of being overwhelmed, ultimately as the direct result of his own sin. His life nearly fell apart because of this sin. And as I prepared this today, I sensed that the Lord was wanting, wanting to speak to some of us in this way. Don't wait for your life to completely fall apart from your sin and your lack of faith before eventually looking to God. Some of you might be stuck in sexual sin. Some of you might be drowning in debt. Some of you may have allowed this COVID period of time 
to make you complacent about your faith, complacent about your family, complacent about flourishing. And maybe some of you instead who, instead of fulfilling vows and making more vows as David speaks about, maybe you've even walked many of them back. And as a result, you're suffering in some way. And perhaps some of you listening might be in a place where you're walking a path of so-called deconstruction of your faith. And instead of fighting for relationship with God, you're actually piece by piece tearing it apart. Let me promise you that's not going to leave you safe. It's not going to leave you satisfied. It's not going to leave you unanxious. Ultimately, I believe that you'll end up exposed, lost, weak, anxious, and an easy target for your sin nature and for Satan's attacks. You'll be like David crying out for that rock of safety, but after you've just chipped that whole rock away. For you, the book of Hebrews, there's so much in the book of Hebrews that pulls this New T Old Testament truth into, into light. The book of Hebrews says to you today, today is the day of repentance. Today, do not harden your hearts. Today, you have an opportunity to know God personally. Today, you can find merciful refuge before the throne of grace. Today, his kindness is bringing about your faith and your repentance. He's after you. He loves you. And he promises to give you refuge, promises to be with you. He promises to know you. For others, maybe you're in a tough spot because of sin and brokenness around you, not because of, of your own sin. Most of us are probably weary about something, and I don't know your circumstance. I don't know what comes to mind. But you can come directly to the throne of God, directly to the God and King of this universe through the blood of Christ alone to plead with God to get you through the cancer, to help you find a job, to help you fight and defeat a certain sin, to help provide a place of refuge as you wonder where you're going to go as you try to escape a suffocating religious life to heal you of the paralysis that just forced its way on you as a result of your bike accident, or to help you figure out how to worship, simply figure out how to worship and follow Jesus in the midst of your painful circumstances. But as we kind of take a step back and look at this psalm, the overall application is actually pretty simple. I think it should be pretty clear, pretty simple. It's to sing and surrender. That's what verse 8 calls us to. That's it. Sing and surrender. If, the God, if God is who this psalm says he is, then why not surrender your life to him? Why not make some vows? It's kind of like when, when, a, when a guy gets crazy about a girl. It's, kinda, it's pretty easy to throw down some vows, right? But if you're not crazy about that girl, you're, you're, you're probably not dropping any vows, right? But so if God is beautiful to you, this is where I'm going with that. If God is beautiful to you, if you see him as worthy like he is, then let's sing, let's surrender to everything that he has for us. 
To surrender or commit means to give of yourself, to give of your time, to give of your wealth, to give of your giftings, to give of your prayers. God is not after 10% of your life. God's after 100% of your life. So how is the Spirit of God calling you to take a step forward? How are you investing your short life here on earth? God offers us ultimate and lasting refuge and beautiful and awesome relationship. So praise Him day after day. Commit to the growth of your relationship with God. Commit to the flourishing of your marriage and your family. Commit to the people and mission of this church. Would you pray with me? God, our Father, our King, our Lord, our Savior, our refuge, you are worthy of all praise. So lead us to your sovereign protection. Lead us to your mercy. It's like the song that says, a lack of time in your presence, it makes us weak. But your love and your grace, it amazes us so that sometimes we don't even have words to say. So receive our praises, imperfect as they are, and help us to surrender all to you, our Lord and our King. Amen.